Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is a Seven West Media podcast. It's the ultimate tragedy the loss of a child. In a perfect world, we as parents outlive our kids, but it doesn't always work out that way. I'm Alex Cullen, and welcome to Being Dad. Okay. This week, we're talking about a topic that for many might be off limits. A topic that's just so heartbreaking that we shouldn't talk about it. Just buck up, stiff up a lip and all that sort of stuff and just move on, almost pretend it doesn't exist. But here on the Being Dad podcast, we promised you we'd talk about every topic that affects dads. Yep, and how we can get the best help and advice, of course, if we suddenly find ourselves in a difficult spot. Well... Topics don't come much more difficult than this, and that is the death of a child. The loss of your beloved little person due to something that just we have no control over. It is so hard to imagine, I know, but the fact of the matter is, it happens. How do we deal with that? What can we do to get through such a difficult time and somehow go on for the sake of ourselves and our family? How do we help a mate or family member that is going through it? How can we help? This episode is just so wide-ranging. So as we did with one of our first episodes on living with autism, we've decided to break it up into two parts. Now, I received an email not long ago from a bloke in country Victoria by the name of Dustin Perry. As a dad of three kids, he reached out to me and wondered what the chances were of coming on the Being Dad podcast and telling his story. I say three kids when in fact it's now two. Because nearly two years ago, Dustin lost his eldest daughter, Chloe, to brain cancer. For four long years, Dustin and his wife, Shannon, tried everything to make this god-awful shitty disease disappear. But it didn't. And Chloe passed away at just nine years of age. The strength of this dad will astonish you. And he's never really talked about it at length until now. And that's what being dad is all about. Dad's talking it out and in turn, hopefully, coming to the realisation that you are not alone. We're in this together. It's important listening, and I should warn you that it gets pretty emotional at times, but Dustin's story, would you believe, is more common than you might think. Here he is, Dustin Perry. Dustin, g'day. Alex, how are you? Good, mate. Where have you come from today? Uh, down at Uroa in Victoria. Wow, long yeah. way. Yep. Up here to Sydney. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing it. Um, today we're going to talk about your daughter. And um, she passed away not that long ago, really. Uh, yeah, well, that's right. I mean, it was uh, Bosking Day 2017, but it's strange. It, it's one of those cliche kind of things that people say it seems like it was yesterday, but it, mm. that's actually true, it turns out. Does it really? Yeah, yeah. It, 
it it's strange that I could, you know, it's close to two years ago, there's no way uh, it seems like that. Can, yeah. Compared to other things that have happened two years ago in other times of my life that seem like a long time ago. No, it, it seems like it just happened. Yeah. Hmm. I, I keep thinking, I, I can't imagine it. Do, do you have a lot of people say that? Oh, I can't imagine what you've been through. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I mean, I couldn't have either before it happened. I mean, it's... Um, yeah, it's it's very hard to explain to people. It's not, it it's not it's like the words don't really exist to explain it properly. It's a very very strange um, experience. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the loss of a child, you know. And I I look at my daughters now, Audrey and Evie. I was just even this morning I was looking at Audrey going because she's not herself lately. She's been a bit I don't know sad, mm. and like, you just immediately think is there something wrong? Yeah. Um, do you do that now with your other kids? Yeah, that's um, it, it's hard not to. I mean, every yeah. every little thing that can slightly be related to anything that ever happened to Chloe, uh, I sort of hit the panic button. You know, I mean, she she had a a, a brain tumor was what killed her, but she mm. was originally diagnosed with cancer when she had a tumor in her spinal cord, which yeah, it's the same type of tumor can can um, move into your brain mm. um, and yeah she had she had pain in the bottom of her back you know so one of the one of the kids said a while ago had this little pain in the bottom of his back and I thought oh my god what is this you know but she, yeah. it turns out it was absolutely nothing but it's yeah it's hard not to do that I guess yeah yeah and so how did you know how did you know that um, she wasn't well what was happening yeah, well, that that is all it started out as. It was sort of down the bottom of her back, a, a bum type area. She was just getting this pain that would just. It started off as you know we just thought it was was nothing really, and mm. took her to the GP after a, you know she sort of complained about it for a couple of days. And, and how old was she then? Uh, she was five. Five. Yeah. So yep. this is in two thousand thirteen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they couldn't really sort of work out what it was. They just sort of you know she's probably just you know fallen and bruised herself or you know strained a muscle or something like that no one was at all concerned about it but it just got worse over over the next week or so we took her back and we ended up uh, late one night taking her to um, the local hospital not our local but the, the closest big hospital which is Shepparton uh, and yeah she was in and out of there a few times and admitted for a day or two a couple of times and then got to the point we'd gone back there again and said no we're not going to leave until we find out what it is and she probably stayed there for, I don't know, maybe a week or two. Um, she had x-rays, ultrasounds, CT scan. She had an MRI, um, but they never found anything. Uh, and they, they, all these scans that she had were all on the area where the pain was, like down sort of around her hips. Yeah. Uh, and they never found anything. Over how long? Like weeks? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah this was oh, probably two or three weeks. Anyway. Just couldn't work yeah. out what was going on. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And it turns out it's because there was nothing there to find. Yeah. So uh, we were told after a while, you know, they'd done everything they could. Um, we're actually given some medication, some type of anti-inflammatory, and um, we were told to take her home and this medication would, um, would fix it. She'd come good in a few days. And I sort of thought, well, if that was true, you would have done that by now. Mm. Um, so we thought, we're not going to do that. And we, we took her down to, to Melbourne to the Royal Children's Hospital uh, it didn't take long once we got there. They they decided they had a look at her MRI images and they weren't perfectly clear. 
So they decided to redo it, but that's just because she was moving a little bit when she had it, but they thought, we'll put her to sleep and redo it just so she's perfectly still. But then they just decided, well, while she's under, we might as well just do a whole body. And that's when they found she had a tumour in her spinal cord in her neck, which was affecting the nerves that that run down to that... um, the lower part of her back and that was what was causing the pain so it took it's not you know and that it's though that wasn't in her brain it was a low grade glioma which is a brain tumour it's a it's a um, central nervous system tumour your your spine and your brain are all enclosed in the same membrane and um, everything passes between the two so yeah, uh, yeah that's so grade one which is the lower end of the scale yeah, at that it? stage yeah, yeah it's a, a low grade to begin with but yeah. I guess that's yeah, you know, and, and we didn't like most people. We didn't know anything about well, cancer in general, really, but particularly brain cancer. Mm. And you sort of think, oh, it's low grade. That's that doesn't sound threatening, you know. But you don't really consider at the time that low grade uh, tumors they evolve to become higher grade pretty quick. Yeah, then they can. I mean, it didn't at that time. So she. She started a um, chemotherapy um, treatment there for 18 months pretty soon after uh, that diagnosis. So that was so we, we found out that there was a tumour there on the 8th of October 2013. How did you take that news? Uh, well, yeah, it's we, we didn't really sort of know what it meant really mm. to, to begin with. So it was sort of... So as soon as we found out what the problem was, so just before she had, just before we actually had that MRI and she found what, the, and, and we discovered that this tumour was there, yeah. we'd been in the the Royal Children's Hospital has a cinema in in the hospital. We were in there watching Frozen, and there was, uh, and she was complaining that she was having um, vision problems, was a bit blurry, and it turns out that that was related to the tumour because it was causing fluid to build up around her brain, which was putting pressure on her optic nerves. Mm. So as soon as it was discovered, she had a shunt installed into her into her brain, which drains fluid out. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was the eighth of October, and then it wasn't until I think it was four days later on the twelfth that we found out this is what it is. She had a biopsy on the on her spine as well to um, so they could analyse it, but. You know, it's a sort of you're told, yeah, this she's got a low grade glioma. Like I said, we didn't know what that meant. We were sort of say, okay, what's that? And um, you know, it's a type of tumor, mm. but yeah, you know, we can treat it. So it's only low grade. We can treat it with um, eighteen months of carboplatinum vincristine, which, which she went through that. Um, you would you get used to the big words, don't you? Yeah, that's right. There's so many big words. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But yeah, she was, but she was fine. Well, not fine, but she was she was quite well at the end of that, mm. uh, and yeah, she was off treatment for a oh, it would have been a few months. Yeah, until she, yeah, that's when we discovered that it it had uh, spread into her brain, mm. and she yeah she'd started um, yeah getting these bad headaches and having seizures and things like that, and that's that's yeah sort of that point we knew she was in a bit more trouble than we initially thought. Yeah. How how did you deal with that? Uh, did you talk to people? Did you sort of internalise it? How did you do it? Yeah, probably not very well, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's – and it it's hard to – I don't know. Well, I say not very well, but I don't know what the 
how good the standard of, of managing something like that is. You know, maybe nobody does it very well, which means that is normal. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, to try and particularly because we've got two other kids as well. That's right. And so between myself and my wife, Shannon, Chloe was in hospital a lot because some of her uh, treatments she had to be in hospital and sometimes she just had to be admitted because she wasn't very well. Mm. To try and juggle one of us being with Chloe and one of us being with the other two, making sure the other two are still getting to school and to their sports and things and trying to pretend something kind of normal is still happening for them and not trying not to let them worry about their sister and that type of thing. And Yeah, you've got to stay positive for them, don't you? Yeah. As well, because that, that's Theo and Lily. And Lily, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's hard. And then, and yeah, you know, look, Shannon and I would always, both of us would want to be with, with Chloe. Yeah. Not that we didn't want to be with Lily and Theo, but it's you want to be there to see what's happening and make sure things are going the way they should be and you want to, if something's wrong, you want to know straight away. And it's, yeah, it's only natural for any parent to want to be there if one of the kids is in that situation. So, but to... To try and to try even just to try and manage that was was very very hard. But you know you still you still got to try and want somebody go to work every now and then and things like that. It's yeah, yeah certainly not easy. And did you have to, you would have taken time off and those sorts of things? Yeah, I did. I mean, I took yeah for probably a couple of years. I was sort of. Just on and off, I'd be at work a day or two, then I'd disappear for a week, and then I'd be back for a couple of days. And and I was able to do some of my work from the hospital, you know, as long as I had my computer and phone, that type of thing. A lot of the time I was okay, but... Mm. What work was that? Uh, well, I worked for a uh, company that developed retirement villages called Lifestyle Community, so uh, I was a project manager for them. Right. So it, it, yeah. it makes no sense that... I now work for Cure Brain Cancer. It makes no sense that I worked in construction before, but yeah. So yeah, project, <laughs> life can take a turn. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh. yeah. So that type of you know, project management can be done remotely a lot of the time, as long as you can get out and uh, check on things. Uh, Understanding sort of half frequently. Yeah. Understanding boss. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Very, very. Yeah. So I was very fortunate with that. Wow. But um, yeah, it's still and to try and actually concentrate on what on work when things particularly when things aren't going very well even even sometimes you know obviously a a kid that's being treated for a brain tumor has good days uh, you know better days and and really really bad days so and it's not so much even just her bad days i mean i think before she even died i think I probably cried every day for about at least a year and a half. And even when she was having good days, just because I knew where it was, the further time went on, the more conversations we're having with Jordan Hansford, who was Chloe's oncologist, and we sort of, okay, this treatment's failing, we're trying another one, but understand this is not going to save her life. Mm. Okay, it might... It might buy us some time or we're just trying. I have no idea where this is even going to work. We just don't have anything else to try. So yeah. the more the more times you have that conversation as time goes on, you can – though you could try and not think of it that way, it's, um, it, it becomes more obvious where it's going. Yeah. Well, you, in your heart of hearts, you're always hoping, aren't you? Was yeah. It, did yeah, did, did right. you battle with that? The, the, do I hope or do I just resign myself to this? Well, 
yeah, I mean, I remember saying, um, so at in, uh, I think it was May 2017, after I'd written to the Prime Minister about brain cancer, um, Greg Hunt convened um, the Australian Brain Cancer Research Roundtable where he, he got all the best experts from around around the country and even a few international guys just to come up with a strategy for what is our best way of doing something about this. Yeah. And I had the opportunity to speak at the start of that. And I can remember saying, so this is, yeah, mate, so this is you know, close to six months before Chloe died. And I can remember saying in that speech, um, look, I understand that most people that were sitting in, around that table that are experts in this field know perfectly well that a process like this is takes far too long to yeah. ever help my daughter. Yeah. I said, but I choose to be ignorant to that and I'll just want to do whatever is absolutely anything possible to give her the best chance we can and that's why everybody was there to try and you know, improve the situation for people. But I, it, seem, it seems like the most ridiculous thing to say to to say that, okay, I understand, I know that this cannot possibly help Chloe, but I'm going to pretend I don't know that. It's completely, there's no logic at all in that, but that's, I remember, I remember clearly saying that. So that's how much I was constantly hoping. And I mean, it's, and I guess I sort of have changed since Chloe died. I'm not that optimistic anymore. And it's not, I mean, I'm on I'm on a uh, strategic advisory committee at Cancer Australia for the Australian Brain Cancer Mission, and I've had a few people make comments to me uh, about things I've said in, th- in their meetings about why am I so pessimistic about everything, and I don't, and I don't think it probably it probably sounds that way for sure. They've, they've said that, but I don't think that's I don't think I am pessimistic. I'm just trying to be realistic about things. I mean, I don't. There's no point in being a, a half glass full person that doesn't get anything done. Yeah. And so if, and you could say, okay, well, you know, being negative and being a half glass em- empty person is probably can cause problems as well. But I think it's more of a case of, um, I think I'm more realistic. I think I'm more of a sort of walk into the room and say, well, why the hell isn't that glass full? You know, why aren't we doing something about this? You know, I don't. Yeah. So it's, Fill it up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, I was un unreasonably optimistic when it was about Chloe herself, probably yeah. because that was just going to help me. I couldn't – I guess it would have been worse for me to sit there for, for the last six months and sort of thinking this is just a disaster rather than thinking who knows. It doesn't matter sometimes what you get told. It's just hard to actually say I give up. Yeah, when, um, when all hope is lost. Yeah, that's right. I mean, because you've just—I mean, that people talk about uh, the yeah you know, about having children. Obviously, you've got children yourself. People talk about um, when a baby's born about the the honour and the responsibility of bringing a a, a life of bringing a child into the world. Yeah. But there's probably very few people that ever consider the. I guess you would call it the responsibility in having to try and guide one back out. It's not – you can't just yeah. – you've got to know when when to stop sometimes and that's hard. Mm. Uh, and sometimes you don't have that choice. Sometimes it's, okay, this is the point that we can't do anything else. And, you you know, you sit down with an oncologist and they say, well, you know, she's going to die. There's nothing we can do. It's just a matter of how we want to do it. Where do you want to be? What do you want to do? Um, you know, it's – but – 
yeah, no, it, nobody really considers. Yeah, there's there's a lot of people discuss bringing a child into into the world, but when you've got to try and try and do the right thing, getting sort of uh, guiding one back out of life, it's it's it doesn't really compare to anything. Like there's nothing. No. You know, there's a lot of things you do in life where you, you've got to make decisions. You think, oh, yeah, well, I learned something from that other unrelated, unrelated experience that I can kind of draw on that might help me with this decision. Mm. There isn't really, as far as I found, there's nothing that compares to it. No, I, I, no way. I mean, I'm just getting upset hearing you talk about it. And oh god, um, and I, I hate saying it, but I, I, I can't imagine it. You know, I, I, it's. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what else to say, mate. Other than I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's yeah. So, so am I. And like I said uh, before we started here, it's it's a funny thing that well, I don't know. Funny is a silly word to use, but it's a <laughs> not ha ha funny. Yeah, it's a strange thing about how uh, people talk about Chloe having sort of fought this thing. And any other kids, it's not really, it's not really the case. Like it's, she didn't actually do anything. Yeah, she just tried to stay alive with what her body can do. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was what uh, doctor, you know, oncologists and researchers uh, can provide. It was them that were having this, what they called a battle against a, a fight against this cancer. Mm. She was just there. It was just happened to be in her brain and she was the one that needed the brain. Yeah. And it, she got killed because it's it's really us as a society that 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 failed to provide any better options, any better treatments to to help people like her really. Yeah. And you've now taken up that fight. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, I'll do whatever I can to make sure it doesn't happen to others. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Olivia Newton-John. She's got cancer at the moment. Mm. She's fighting it. Yeah. Uh, interviewed her a little while ago. She said the same thing. She said, "Don't call it a fight. I don't see it as a fight. It's it's a journey. Mm. I guess that that might go for your daughter too. It's a journey. I mean, it's you know, you're right. They're not yeah. fighting it. It's yeah. She's she's not really. <laughs> yeah, she's. She wasn't fighting it. Like she had no weapons. She, yeah. Oh, she's she a was, kid. She's she was a... just there, and she was just the one that was. She was just the battleground where this fight happened to be occurring. That was, yeah. and she was the one that was taking all the damage from it. It wasn't. She wasn't. Yeah. All she could do was what her body can do to try and stay alive. That's. Yeah. She wasn't. She wasn't. Um, yeah, that's all she could do to try and defend herself to keep herself alive. She wasn't uh, the one that was actually administering anything or researching anything to try and yeah. develop anything to defeat this cancer. And obviously, a human body on its own can't do that. You were fighting, and you continue to fight for her. Um, well, what about the time you had with her, though? I'm sure you'd rather have had that than, than not the time at all. Yeah, that's a hundred percent right. I mean. Yeah, there's yeah, things remind me of her yeah. every every day. I mean, things I'm doing constantly make me think of her and um you know, particularly, you know, a lot of funny things that she would do. She was a really kind of quirky sort of a kid, you know. But um she was a sort of kid that if you you'd say to her, 
going to go for a walk down the supermarket on a Saturday morning or something. Can you get ready? And then half an hour later, she'd she'd walk into the lounge room or something we were waiting for her and she'd have... Uh, you know, like a dress on with her pajama pants, with a raincoat and one gum boot and one thong or something. Are you, are you going out like that? She goes, yeah, of course I am. And like, you know, that was the sort of thing. And she would just think it's funny. Like, you know, she was, yeah, always, you know, she just a real she just found she's found and she wasn't she wasn't so much participating in the mischief herself, but she just found found watching it really funny. Like someone's, you know, playing tricks on someone or, um. And she liked telling these really <laughs> kind of silly knock knock jokes. I remember <laughs> one that I remember one day she told one to Jordan, who was an oncologist, and she said, uh, "Actually, I'll, I'll ask you, um, knock knock, who's there? Interrupting cow. Interrupting. Moo." <laughs> <laughs> She, that was like very good. Typical of her, that type. <laughs> that's up there with some of the worst dad jokes. Yeah, there. that's right. Yeah, yeah. But you know, that's um, yeah. She loved that sort of thing, and yeah. even uh, yeah, when we were in hospital for you know, obviously a lot the the Starlight Foundation have got this. They're just absolutely incredible. They've got the Starlight Room in the hospital where they've got you know an art room and you know. Playstations and all sorts of things, but they come around to your room and they're all dressed up in their Starlight, you know, Captain Starlight costumes and that. Mm. And they'd come, they used to come around and paint her fingernails for her and play with her and all sorts of things. They're just absolutely unbelievable. They they made as well as what they did with our other two kids um, at times when we were all stuck there for a long time. They made our lives so much better. They're just absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. But the things that they used to do with Chloe and just just come up to her room and just like draw pictures of ridiculous things and stick it on the door and just all just anything that she would think's kind of cheeky or they shouldn't be doing she would just find hilarious fantastic yeah this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive and june olive and june gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box and if you break it down it really comes out to two dollars a manicure which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The fight, you know, you, you've taken up the fight. I remember when Dad was dying of this god-awful bloody disease, um, I was reading up on things and I was reading up about the research and how much money's going towards it. And I was genuinely shocked, genuinely pissed off that this disease, which takes so many people, the biggest 
cause of death, cancer anyway, in children. It's the biggest killer of children by anything other than accidents in Australia, yeah. not just cancer. Yet receives so little funding. Um, I had to read it a few times for that to sink in. Uh, I know the same went for you too, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, you know, I for the first, I don't know, probably year or year and a half or something like that that we were going through this, mm. I didn't sort of think too much about that side of it. And, um, yeah, one day we just got home from the hospital and the, I can't remember which one it was, but whatever particular treatment she'd been on had had failed. Chloe just had an MRI and we found that disease had progressed again and we are just trying to work out what to do. And I ended up, I can't even remember how, I ended up on the phone to a guy, Barry Littlefield, who used to be at Cure Brain Cancer Foundation. Mm. And he, yeah, he explained to me about even the survival rates I hadn't been aware of. He explained all that to me and, um, you know, particularly, like you said, about killing more kids than the other disease and told me that brain cancer research... I think we started, start, started talking about clinical trials and he said, well, that's not really a thing mm. for brain cancer. Uh, and, yeah. yeah, he explained to me that less, I think it was less than 3% of the federal government's cancer research budget over the previous two decades had been spent on brain cancer research. And, um, yeah, by the end of that, I decided to go and write a letter to Malcolm Turnbull about it. You sure did? Yes. Dear so, Malcolm. Yeah. Prime Minister at the time. Yes, that's right. You uh, you didn't mince your words either. Um, what did you say? I think I wrote a few things down. I'm asking you to immediately make a massive increase in the amount of funding that is allocated to brain cancer research and clinical trials. You're the leader of our nation. And I'm asking you to take some responsibility for the unacceptable amount of suffering and loss that brain cancer is causing Australians. I am a father pleading with you to take action on this. Strong words, mate. When I wrote that letter to Malcolm Turnbull, I just thought that he mustn't somehow he must not know about it because <laughs> it's the only explanation. Yeah, surely a, a disease that's killing more kids than any other disease in the country. It, it, yeah, it literally just I thought that doesn't make sense. He must somehow not know about this. That's yeah. yeah. You said uh, I would love to discuss this further with you, with you in person, as I can only assume that you are unaware of the issue as it is the only logical explanation for it being neglected for so long. Yeah. And, there you go. Yeah, and that was obviously a letter to him, but it's not. it wasn't only his government. I mean, it, yeah. so that survival rate of brain cancer hasn't changed for... Well, it hasn't, hasn't meaningfully changed for 30 years. I know, it's bullshit. It's, it's bullshit. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, we're all about mental health on this podcast, Dustin, and, um, you know, you, you've been through something terrible, horrible, um, that... Uh, it's hard to think about, but um, how did you how did you get through when, when your daughter did pass away? How did you um, how did you get through that time? Did you talk to people? Did you did your wife Shannon help? Did did you have someone that you could go and talk to? Or yeah, it's probably not as much as I should have really. Yeah, yeah, it's it's sort of hard to I don't know know what to say to anybody that. That you do talk to about it, really. I mean, yeah. I don't, and I, and I still sometimes sort of think I wouldn't wouldn't know what to say to try and that would make anything better. Mm. I mean, it, as soon as it happens, the, well, the it's one of those things that you know people say when somebody when when you lose somebody mm. and they say, "Oh, it hurts." Mm. 
I didn't realise, you know, I've lost grandparents before and things like that, and that was very different to this. I didn't know that was literal. I mean, after, I thought it was just, you know, like it makes you sad. Mm. After, like, from immediately when Chloe died, I just, for probably, I don't remember how long it was, like, weeks, I just had this pain, like, in my whole torso. It just felt like my whole torso was just being crushed. Mm. Like, and you have things like that, that, and you can't concentrate on anything. Like, I just, I didn't even know that it it hurts thing was, that's what, I didn't, didn't know that's what it, was, what it actually meant. Well, maybe that's not everybody, I don't know. Mm. But, you know, and you, it's, it's hard not, you know, you, you can't just not think about it. And even as soon as we left, you know, the, the hospital in Melbourne, just, just driving home without her, it's, yeah, that, that was, that was, that was the worst. That was yeah. well, and it's hard to it's hard to work out what was actually the the worst. Well, the most sort of traumatic, I guess. Actually, watching it happen at the last her last day or so, and then just driving home without her was almost as bad. Like yeah. knowing it makes it seem real but but also i think a little while before that once we knew that okay this is there's definitely nothing we can do mm. probably telling lily and theo uh, before chloe died and and we did do that because we thought we don't just tell her tell them when it happens because we want them to understand so they appreciate their time with her more yeah. but it's yeah, they they knew what had been happening, and we'd sort of keep we'd try and keep them positive by saying, you know, no, it's Chloe, be okay, you know, we're we're going to work it out. Mm. But yeah, getting to that point where you actually sit down and say to them that there's nothing else we can do. It's yeah. it's yeah, I I almost think that's the most traumatic thing. Like to to say to say to them that you know, we've done everything we can. And you know, Theo actually said, but you told me that Jordan was going to fix it. And I said, yeah, he's done everything possible. Mm. Like, nobody in the world can help her. That's, I think, yeah, it's it's hard to, because each each of those things are so different, it's hard to sort of say which was actually the, the hardest to kind of uh, recover from. But, yeah, that was certainly significant anyway that's the thing that there isn't a way of 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 knowing what to do mm. no there's not you just uh, um, yeah it's hard to yeah like i said parenting in general but with a situation like that to know whether you whether you should be trying to trying to get them to to talk about it more or sort of leave them and does it help come to you does it help to talk about it some yeah, I think sometimes it does. I mean, it depends on the situation. Sometimes something happens. You know, we might, um, you know, something will come on TV or we'll find something that oh, Chloe used to like this, or something funny will happen, yeah. and that's always good. Um, and I think that's happening more and more. So I don't know whether that's maybe the kids are sort of becoming more comfortable in in doing that. But it, mm. it, yeah, it is. I think good to regularly 
uh, have these little things that happen where you find find something or um, you know you something that'll remind you of of her and it'll make people it'll make us sort of talk about her just just and and I don't mean like a sit down one night and talk for two hours about no. you know, how things are going. I mean just a little thing every now and then just just to keep keep it so she's and because she's part of the family. Yeah. Always will be. Yeah, it's and and it's that's a, it's good to I guess that sort of keeps keeps Chloe in touch with us. I mean keeps us in, in touch with Chloe as we keep on talking about little things that happen and as as uh, you know, life goes on and things remind us of what she would have done at this time, or how she would have laughed at that thing that just happened, yeah. or yeah, that's I think it's a good thing. Have you had people that have just expected you to just kind of move on and like just buckle up and be that father figure and just pull it together? Have, have, have you had any, that experience at all? Well, yeah, sort of, but you don't. You, you just don't. I mean, I, I guess some people move on, but you never do. Of course not. But uh, what I mean is, like, how how do you move on? You know, how do you? I don't. I don't think I do. No. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. So, you know, like you said about writing to the prime minister about um, improving the situation. That's sort of what I think I can do, which yeah. is kind of. I don't think that's really moving on. Actually, it's it's make you know I'm just trying to make sure that nobody else has to go through that suffering. I'm doing doing all that I possibly can anyway. Yes, and I don't necessarily know whether that is moving on. It's mm. it's you'll know. Yeah, you never move on, of course. Um, but I think I guess well for me, I know for me it was uh, by raising money, by getting awareness out. It kind of helped in a way because you're also with other people that have been through this, yeah, um, that are hurting like you are, mm-hmm. um, and it's and it's I guess their legacy, and you want to keep talking about them. You want to keep their memory alive. You want to, as you say, not have this happen again to someone. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, and if there's, if if we can, it would be the worst possible outcome if we didn't do anything now. Yeah, and then. In twenty years, one of my grandchildren is in the same situation. Yeah, I, I would literally blame myself for that. So, you know, we've just, I, I have got to do everything I possibly can to make sure that doesn't happen. But not just that. I mean, I don't want, I don't want your kid or a kid walking down the street that I don't know to go through that. I don't want anybody to have to go through that because it's, it's just terrible. Oh, I don't think there's a word that can properly describe it, as you said earlier. Mm, yeah. There's just not. The... Oh, man. Um, and so what, where are we up to now? What, what's How much funding have you managed to secure and how much more do we need, I suppose? Whatever it takes. I don't yeah. – and I don't really – it's, it's never enough mm. until, and, until I – until I call Jordan one day and say to close on college and say, "How are you going?" and he said, "I had the most incredible week last week. I have spoke to a patient that's been off treatment for so long, and he's uh, really doing well. And that's this is we're having this happen regularly. We're having some really great 
responses to some of these new drugs. We're saving people. This would never have happened 10 years ago or five years ago. These people, these patients would have come to me being diagnosed and I would have thought, this kid's got no chance and now we're saving those people. Until that happens... It's not enough. I don't care what the number is. But everybody sort of is working together on it, all based off the same strategy. We're all sort of focusing on the same priority areas and sort of saying, okay, well, you invest in that area. We'll look at we'll look after this part of it. And everybody's working together um, with the same goal in mind, which is doubling survival rate by the end of this 10-year uh, project. Good, good. So by when? So that's, what, 10 years from now? Uh, no, from when it launched, so 2027. 2027. Yeah. Okay. I, in the weeks and months afterwards, after you lost it, um, did, did you speak to someone? Did you? Professionally. Yeah. No, I didn't, know. Right. No, and whether that was the right thing to do or not, I don't know. Yeah. Um, do you wish you had? Uh, well... Well, it's hard to say without actually having done it and yeah. what the benefits were, I suppose. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not like it's not like I struggled really badly for six months and then it got better. It's like it's that certainly happened for maybe a few weeks and then it sort of felt a bit better and then just go and then just they just went down downhill again and felt really horrible about it all for for a while and. Uh, I don't. I mean, a couple of you know, a couple of friends and um, Shannon talking to them kind of helps a little bit, but it's not so much. It's 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 hard because people. It, it's someone. It's not exactly easy to explain to somebody how you feel about something, yeah. because it's it's not really something. Well, you, sometimes you don't know how to put it into words. Yeah. Like you can tell right now. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's, so for somebody to be able to help you, sometimes. You, you need to be able to tell them what the problem is. And I, I guess somebody that a professional is able to kind of interpret that from the way you're having trouble explaining it, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, so I don't know whether it's something that should that we should have done or you might do that more people should do. Or, yeah, that's right. I I really don't know. I mean, like we said earlier, there's not really there's no manual on how to how to get over something like this, no. how to parent, or even how to be how to live you know so it's yeah everything's a matter of figuring it out as you go I think yeah I got maybe talking about her and how and, I, and what, when I asked that I'd, I'd love you to tell me how you'd, you'd like her to be remembered well how do you remember yeah her? I I think probably the main thing other than the sort of mischievous side that I said before uh, is just how much Chloe always cared about people it's, I think, I remember saying um, when I spoke at Chloe's funeral that, you know, obviously she wouldn't want people to be sad because because of her. I mean, and, and I sort of, in writing that, I realised that, I don't know whether this is even right or wrong, but I decided that I was trying to work out, well, why am I sad that, that Chloe's not here? Mm. And I thought, well... Is it because she's died? And I thought, yes, it is. But, but why am I sad about it? Because I can't change that. So being me being upset about it, it's it's pointless. Like if I can just not do it, I can't. I can't. I can't fix that. It ha- happened in the past. So I thought, okay, well, I can. That's I've decided that that doesn't help anything. So 
Um, so am I sad because she suffered for so long and so much? But then I thought, well, it's the same thing. I can't, I can't undo that. Uh, and I couldn't do anything about it at the time either. So it's also pointless me being sad about that. And also, she's not suffering now. So as, as bad as that sounds, when it ended, it relieved her from that suffering. Mm. So it wasn't really, and maybe emotions aren't, really think, aren't something that have anything to do with logic anyway, but it wasn't very logical for me to think that way. So I thought, well, why, why is it then? And as I realised, it's because I miss her. So it's just, and then I sort of thought, well, that's just selfish for me to be being so upset about it just because I miss her. Um, and I know that she wouldn't want anybody to be upset. So I shouldn't be. And I remember saying, which it's easier to say it than to actually do it. Mm. But I remember saying, and it, and it was particularly meant for her friends that were that were there, um, that you know she clearly wouldn't want anybody to be upset to try you know try and be happy, mm. which you know it's if you if you're able to you know, saying it's easy if you're able to do it then great. Yeah. But yeah, the other thing I remember saying then is about how yeah how she always cared about other people and she would want everybody to know she would want to know that everybody else is okay and I remember a story that I did tell on that day about one day we were I can't even remember what uh, around what time this was but we were staying in the hospital level four on the um, cock two ward and you know, Chloe had um, she had a couple of pumps connected up to her she was in a wheelchair we'd taken her down to the coffee shop to get a uh, hot chocolate with marshmallows in it probably and <laughs> and so yeah she had the pump and a few lines connected up to her port and that sort of thing and yeah. whatever else I can't remember what else but she had a whole you know it was a it was a big job to get her from the bed to the wheelchair move all the pumps onto the pole and all sorts of things and we did that we come back up and we got off the elevator and there's there's a couple of seats just outside the elevator and I remember we walked past and I was pushing the wheelchair and she looked at there's a little boy sitting there on his own on these seats and I remember just watching her look at him as we walk past and as soon as we got far enough so he wouldn't be able to hear her she said do you think that boy's okay and he looks fine and she said are you sure I said, yeah he'll be fine I mean, his mum's probably just gone to get something he'll be fine and so we kept walking yeah a couple of minutes later we had her back to her room put her in a bed took the pumps off back onto the pole by the bed and all that sort of thing and then i sat down and she said worry look on her face i said what's wrong coco and she said i was worried about that boy I said, well, he's fine. He didn't, he looked absolutely fine. And she said, oh, but he, what if he's lonely? And I said, well, you know, he's, I'm sure his mum's left him there. She's probably not going to leave him there for long. She goes, I think we better go and check on him. Oh. So, she, you know, we got her out of bed, back in the wheelchair, moved all the pumps back on, connected him onto the pole and whatever else we have to do. Yeah. Went back out there. By the time we got there, he was gone. But that's just an example. There was, there was nothing, there was no reason to think, I mean, I wouldn't have thought there was anything wrong with him but yeah. she was just and it's not even that she th- thought there was something wor- uh, wrong with him like medically yeah. she just thought maybe he's lonely or we'd better just check on him anyway oh, you know so wow. she just yeah really really cared about people yeah despite what she was going through she still had time and that empathy and and that thought for someone else yeah wow yep yeah that's right yeah and and she yeah she didn't she didn't want people worrying about her. Yeah. You know, it's she she just if if it was uh, going to be harming somebody, uh, 
in any way to be worried about her. She would just she would just say, "Don't worry about me. I'll, I'll be fine." Yeah. What a what an amazing kid. Yeah. Wow. And you and you're keeping up the good fight now. Uh, I know you've got to go off to a meeting to secure some more funding. Yep. For the cause yep. after this, hoping so. Anyway, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. that's that's what you do now, isn't it? Yeah, you, that's you right. Try, yeah. You go around, you literally, you know, corner people and say, "Listen, I want your money." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hasn't quite got to that point yet. <laughs> no, but, you know. It might one day. <laughs> yeah, well, let's hope not. But yeah, well, that's right. I mean, it's we need of, your uh, money and we want it because we need that money for research to to stop this from happening. That's right. Yeah, I mean, what I'm yeah I'm doing uh, at the moment is a sort of few. Trying to get some some corporates, some few businesses, philanthropists, that type of thing to support us. And you know, if I can, if I can use my story to explain to people, and if that if that gets them to understand the desperate need for it, and like Greg Hunt once said to me, I'm pretty hard to say no to. So um, <laughs> yeah, can, you know, if that if can, that can get people to want to help, then I'm I'm happy to do it. Yeah, yeah. good on you. That gee. The cause is lucky to have you, mate. Well, I I wish it didn't. I wish I didn't have a reason to do it. But, um, yeah, like I said, we'll do whatever we can. Good on you, Dustin. And if anyone listening wants to donate, how do we do that? Yeah, we would uh, absolutely love any support that anyone can give us. Uh, Go to curebraincancer.org.au and there's a little donate button on there. But, um, yeah, I mean, find us on Facebook, Twitter, all that sort of thing as well. And we've always got events, uh, Walk for Brain Cancer coming up and we've got runs and uh, triathlon in Noosa coming up. There's always plenty of ways that people can get involved. So we would love all the support we can get. Yeah. And there's also the Mark Hughes Foundation. There's, uh, there's Carrie Bigmore, yeah. Charlie Tia Foundation. Um, there's, there's plenty of places you can donate to the cause. There is, yeah, that's right. And, you know, everybody and, – and all of those well, – most of those organisations you just met are – Working together yeah. on the Australian Brain Cancer Community—that's the idea. We want—it's it's pointless everybody just doing their own thing. Mm. We need everybody to work together. No, no one foundation, no one charity can can fix this problem. No one research lab, no one oncologist. We need to do this together if we're going to going to stop this from happening to people. Amen, brother. <laughs> Thanks, Dustin. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. Wow, his strength is just something else, isn't it? Incredible stuff from Dustin, and I'll be honest, it really affected me, and Jake too, and we just couldn't stop thinking about it for the rest of the day, seriously. Um, Massive effect, and after our chat, I I got a text message from Dustin, which was really nice of him, and he basically said that he felt that talking about it actually did help him, so there you go, and that was really nice to hear. Um, He also wanted me to tell you that since losing Chloe, he feels immense gratitude now, And he feels gratitude for the small things and how he's so grateful now for the simple things that he never was before. You heard there that Dustin now works in partnerships for the Cure Brain Cancer Foundation and he's doing his darndest to improve survival rates for people, kids especially, diagnosed with brain cancer. And I've said it once and I'll say it again. The more money we raise, the more pressure we can put on governments to chip in with vital funds the more chance we have of finding a cure. It's as simple as that. This disease has to stop. And we can't thank Dustin enough for coming in and telling his story. So the subject of loss and bereavement is pretty triggering for any parent, 
or spouse. And since we started on this epic adventure into the trials, tribulations, and of course, joys of being dad, we've been inundated with stories of loss. In the two conversations that we've recorded on this subject so far, I think the thing that stands out the most is that neither of these guys sought help, didn't really seek any professional help. They just chose to soldier on. And that's fair enough. Every individual's right to do that. And in your feed right now is the next part of this episode where I talk to James Brown, a clinical psychologist at the University of Southern Queensland. And I asked James about why we, as men, a lot of the time seem to feel that we can't ask for help. Particularly as men, evolutionarily, we've survived because of our ability to tolerate pain and to squish it down somewhere while we you know, run back out into the battlefield with half a limb hanging off, right? Mm. So there's something truly um, about our survival instincts that's enabled us to somehow tolerate pain while getting back on the battlefield. That's all well and good for physical pain. You know, that's sometimes a necessity to be able to do that, to have that response. But with an emotional pain, it's not the same. So hold your kids tight. Go and give them a hug because you never know what's going to happen in this crazy journey called life. I won't carry on with cliches and the like, but you get what I'm saying. And always remember, we are in this together. Any further information you need is in the show notes. And if you'd like to donate, that's really important to any of the charities we mentioned, go to curebraincancer.org.au or charlieteofoundation.org.au. There's also the Mark Hughes Foundation, which is markhughesfoundation.com.au and buy a beanie for brain cancer. A big thank you to Dustin Perry. I'll leave you now with a quote from a famous dad. And this week, it's Justin Timberlake. That man can move, can't he? He said, all I know is, I don't know what the hell I did before. So true. (laughs) What did we do before, kids? I've got no idea. I'm Alex Cullen. Thanks for listening to Being Dad. This was a Seven West podcast. The producer is Jake Taylor. Nikki Hamilton is our executive producer. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.